Thank you. Galatians chapter number two. If you're with us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while, we started at the beginning of the summer going through the book of Galatians. And in the first couple of weeks, we've covered chapter one and much of chapter two. And we've looked at, you know, uh, Paul's purpose in writing the letter, his defense of the gospel, and his testimony of converting from persecutor of Christians to preacher of Christ. The last two weeks we've been in Galatians 2 and we've kind of slowed down a little bit and we've looked at how Paul applied the gospel to three things. First, to legalism. Legalism is the right behavior with the wrong thinking. It's doing the right thing, but assuming because I'm doing the right thing, I'm in good standing with God. And Paul brought the, Paul brought, uh, the gospel to, the, to, the, to legalism and said that's a burden that you should not and cannot carry. You cannot be the person that makes you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. It's his works and it's faith in Christ that offers us a right standing with God. And so he addressed legalism, but then he also addressed hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the right thinking. When I know the right thing to do, but I don't do the right thing, Legalism is about, um, the, the gospel addresses hypocrisy, excuse me, by reminding us that, hey, some of you know what is right, but that's not enough just to know what is right. We must live out what is right with our lives. As, as the song that we sang, God is holy. You know what God says about his holiness? I'm holy, so you be holy. And last week, we, we reached a point where Paul's going to now talk about faith. Now, an interesting definition here, but faith is the right thinking with the right behavior. Now, I know often we, we don't necessarily equate faith with action. We, we kind of think of faith as the same word as belief. And I agree that faith includes belief for sure, but I, I also think that faith is more than just a mental thought. No one's going to describe legalism or hypocrisy as, as an action. We don't say legalism is an action. It's a, it's, it's a thinking, but, but legalism and hypocrisy both lead to actions that people will say are legalistic or hypocritical. And faith leads us to actions that people say are faithful or faithless. And so we have to understand there is a very important relationship for us as Christians to understand the balance between faith, belief, and action works. And it's something that led Martin Luther, and you would know that name probably, Martin Luther stepped out of the Catholic Church after reading the book of Romans, nailed, a 95, nailed his 95 thesis to the wall of the church, to the door of the church, to be able to say, I do not believe works plays a role in salvation. Salvation is by grace, through faith, alone. And he took a stand on that. And yet there's still a debate going on in religions across the nation, across the world, really, about, well, do we have to be a good person to reach heaven? Or do we just believe to reach heaven? And there's a, there's a reason that that question and that this tension exists. And so we'll want to address today. When you look at the whole of Scripture— 
When you look at the whole of Scripture, it appears at times that some passages of Scripture contradict other passages of Scripture when it comes to faith and works. For example, we were in Galatians chapter 2 last week, and if you were with us, we read this verse behind me five times last week. I want to read it again. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Paul said this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law Because by works of the law No one will be justified In this one verse Paul says three times You're not justified by your works Twice he says You're justified by faith In Jesus Christ and Paul can't really make it any clearer Can he? I mean like he says it in this short Short little verse Three times It's not of works It's of faith and then Paul is actually going to use in, in Galatians 3, which we're not going to be there today, but Paul's going to use in Galatians 3 and in, in Romans 4, he's going to use an illustration on how faith is, brings justification. He's going to reach all the way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter number 12 and talk about Abraham, the father of Israel. If you know the story of Abraham, and I'll be very brief, but Abraham was 75 years old, he had no children, and God came to him and said, you are going to be the father of many nations. Which is impossible. Because he was old and he had no children. But the Bible says Abraham believed. And then in Genesis chapter 15, just a few verses later, nothing had taken place. Abraham had not had a son yet, and and he comes back to God who had told him, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he kind of, I, I kind of picture Abraham scratching his head and saying, so God, I know what you said and I believe what you said, but I have this servant who's been with me for his whole life. Is he the one? Is it through my servant that I'm going to be the father of many nations? And, and God says, no, step outside. He says, look up at the stars of the sky. And he says, as you see those stars you will have children like that one day. And Genesis 15, 6 says, and he, meaning Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This in Galatians 3 and in Romans 4 as the proof that God justifies by faith. Let me just read what Paul writes in Romans chapter number 4. He says, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. M meaning, like, if, if, if Abraham were to reach the heavenly state one day and say, oh, I got here because of what I did, he would have a reason to boast. But when you, cut, when you stand before God, reaching the heavenly state, you, you don't boast about what you've done you're going to only boast about what god's done right verse three for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness we read that we read that and then we have to ask ourselves well why is there is this debate in christianity why is this there debate in religion about faith and works and here's why because the brother of jesus his name is james he wrote a book of the bible too and he wrote something a little bit different. And he used Abraham 
to drive home his point. The same guy that Paul uses to drive home his point that, that justification only comes by faith, James uses the same man, he's going to use the same verse, and he's going to drive home the point that justification comes by works. Look at James chapter 2. I have it behind me. You're welcome to turn in, in your Bibles if you'd like to. James chapter number 2. This is the brother of Jesus writing. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? I think, I think it was a few verses earlier he said faith apart from works is dead. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is not justified by, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Do you see the contradiction seemingly? Well, Paul, this apostle that had a vision of Jesus, says you're justified by faith. James, the brother of Jesus, says you're justified by works. And we're like, whoa. In fact, I think it was, I think it was Martin Luther who said, I don't like the book of James. But there's two statements in verse 22 that I think are really important for us to take note of. Because in verse 22, James says this. Faith was active along with his works, and his faith was completed by his works. And here's where I think the key is for us to understand. These two men were not contradicting one another. They were both led by the same Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's not going to contradict himself. He's not going to have followers who say, we want to know you. He's not going to give us two different thoughts. And so here's what I really believe is the key for us to understand. The actions of our lives reveal the authenticity of our faith. Because here's what we know. Anyone can claim to have faith in God. Anyone can. But only true faith stands up to the test. Anyone could claim to have faith in God, but only true faith stands up to the test. Now, let me show you a little bit about how Abraham's faith stood up to the test in his life. So we already know this, that God told Abraham he would have a son in his old age, and that child's name was Isaac. And many of you know this story, but I understand there's some that may not. Isaac was actually called the child of promise. But Isaac, that child of promise, would be the test of Abraham's faith in God. Because in Genesis 22, now go back with me, Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Genesis 15, God re retells Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Go look at the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed. That's his faith. And that faith was counted for righteousness. But now, a few chapters later, Abraham's faith, Faith that he claims that he has is going to be tested. Because God's going to say, take that son of promise 
and I want you to sacrifice him to me on a mountain. So, so, so here's what happens in Genesis chapter number 22. Abraham and, and a group of people along with Isaac start to take off to this mountain. And, and, and let me just show you Abraham's faith. In verse, we're not going to read the whole thing, but in verse number five, here's what, we, here's what we see. Abraham said to his young men, the men that were with him, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy, meaning Isaac. I and Isaac will go over there and worship. And notice what he says. And come again to you. Somehow, somehow Abraham knew, I'm going with Isaac. I'm going to sacrifice him on that mountain because God asked me to, but I'm bringing him back. Now, how? I don't, I don't know how he knew that, but he, he believed that God had said, through your son Isaac, you will be the father of many nations. In verse 8, we read that, that Isaac asks his dad, so hey, where's the, where's the actual sacrifice? And and Abraham says, the Lord will provide himself. And some people then take that as, well, Abraham wasn't ever really going to think he was going to sacrifice Isaac. He, he always knew that God was going to save him from it. But, but I don't know, because in verse number 10, this is what we read. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. It doesn't sound like Abraham was waiting on God to come through in some other way. In fact, two verses later, when the Lord himself is speaking, the angel calls out and says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So God sees Abraham is not going to get that son from him. But then I, I want you to, to, to notice in verse 15 what the angel of the Lord says to Abraham. He says, you're not going to have to sacrifice your son. There's a ram in the thicket. And then the angel comes back and says this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God repeats the blessing that he had given in chapter 12 and in chapter number 15, but something's different this time. He says, I'm giving it to you because you have obeyed me. It was Abraham's faith that was counted him as righteousness, but his faith passed the test, and we know that because of his actions. And his actions resulted in the blessings that God had promised him, that Abraham believed in. So we, so we have to, there's a, as, as, as students of the scripture and say, well, so did God bless Abraham because of his faith or because of his obedience? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. He blessed him because of his faith. Yes, he blessed him because of his obedience. See, Abraham's faith in God was active in his works, and his works completed his faith, which is what James said. And so God blessed Abraham because of his faith, which moved him to 
Obedience. And here's the thing. I know that I know you may say, like, Pastor, you're taking a really long time on this, but here's the thing. Without Abraham's works, his faith is worthless. That's what James said. Faith without works is dead. Without Abraham's actions, his faith in God is not really faith in God. But but we also have to understand without his faith, his works are worthless. It wouldn't matter what he did if it wasn't sourced in faith. And this really helps me understand Paul's emphasis on Abraham's faith. Paul, Paul says, you know, it's all about faith. Here's the thing. Think, think with me. I, I, know, I know I'm sorry. It's like, like, I hope it's not too deep for you. But like, Abraham didn't offer Isaac as a sacrifice because he was trying to earn God's pleasure. It wasn't a work to say, God, I want you to smile down on me. But it was a work that God asked him to do, so it was obedient faith. The sacrifice of Isaac was worthless if it wasn't sourced in faith. You read the book of Kings, you'll see kings who sacrifice their sons trying to earn the pleasure of God. And it doesn't earn the pleasure of God because God didn't ask him to do it. It would be like me taking Trinity saying, you are my one and only daughter. Let's travel up to Stony Man because I want to show God that I have the same faith as Abraham and I'm going to offer you as a sacrifice there. That work is stupid. It makes no sense because God didn't ask me to do it. The only reason the the sacrifice of Abraham's son meant anything was because it was an action of faith. And Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what does this mean for us? Let's, Let's bring it out. What does it mean for us? It means we could stop comparing our works for God with the works of other believers. I don't look at what Abraham did and say, I'm going to go do what Abraham did. Just like in this church gathering or even in the greater church around us, we don't look at what other churches are doing. We don't look at what other Christians are doing and say, well, I see what they're doing. I'm going to go do that too. That's not a work that that God is pleased with. It's when we're listening to God saying, Father, I want to please you. I will do anything you ask. And he puts something in our heart and we obey in faith. That is very pleasing to God. Otherwise, it's nothing more than a a chart on the wall with a bunch of gold stars. Probably if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. Many Sunday school classes I had. We got a star for attendance. We got a star for bringing our Bible. We got a star for an offering. We got a star for bringing a visitor. But you know, when I looked at the chart, I never thought, I'm really pleasing God. I looked at the chart and thought, I'm really beating my friends. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about pleasing God. It was an action. It was a good action. But it was, it was all about me, not about pleasing the Father. problem is sometimes when when we teach our children and i totally understand i'm not trying to say those are bad things i totally understand why we do it we got to be careful that we're not teaching them that the reason we do good things is to get a reward out of it we do good things because god is pleased with that when you're seven 
It's okay to ask your parents for change to put in the offering so you can get a gold star. But when you get to be 20, <laughs> you got to stop turning to mom and dad and ask for, for money to place in the offering. And you, you start making decisions on your own because you have a faith in the word of God that says, I will take care of you according to my riches and glory. At a certain age, your parents are going to ask you, are going to stop asking you, have you read your Bible? Planning to go to church today? Did you do your devotions? And we're not going to do any of those things because there's check marks, gold stars, or comparisons to others. You do it because you really believe in what you're doing and in who you're doing it with. It's not about the works. It's all about the faith. But see, when Hebrews 11 says, without faith it's impossible to please God, we have an entire chapter of people that it starts out by saying, in faith, and then it tells us something they did. It doesn't just say, in faith, they believed. It says, in faith, Noah built an ark. In faith, Moses' parents hid him in a basket. In faith, Moses stepped out and became the leader of the nation that God had called him to. God's not asking us to read Hebrews 11 and have the same actions as the heroes of faith. God's asking us to read Hebrews 11 and be willing to obey in faith like those people did. It's not about doing what they did. It's about the faith that was behind their actions. I don't know if you've ever experienced a season of life. I know that I have where where you start looking at what other people are doing and to impress God, I'm going to do what they're doing. In those seasons, it's important for someone to remind you or to be reminded to stop, stop trying to impress God with our accomplishments. God isn't moved because we attempt to carry the burden of helping every single person we meet or in fixing every single problem we encounter. I said to the young adults this morning, Jesus didn't heal every person he came to. He didn't fix every poor person he met. He walked past the, the pool of Bethesda where there were many sick and lame people and he stopped at the one, the one lame man that had been sick for 38 years and he healed one. See, we have to be careful that we don't develop the savior mentality thinking it's our job to fix the world. It's not our job to fix the world. It's our job to serve the king. One action at a time. But, but there's also seasons in our lives, and, and here's, if I could just be a little bit personal too. There's seasons in our lives where we find ourselves in a spiritual stupor. It's in those seasons where we need to be reminded that our faith in Jesus needs to go to work. I think COVID brought this to the church as a whole. The world faced a very true scare. Will people live? And in that moment, everybody turned their attention inside, and the focus came on ourselves, on, on our families, our desires, and I totally understand why my own thinking did the same thing. I was concerned about protecting my family, just like so many of you were. I really do believe the greatest ministry we have is in our home. 
But there also has to come a time where we realize God didn't call us to spend all of our time focused on ourselves. We, we must be the salt and light that he has called us to be to this church family. Your church family needs you to put, put your faith to work. This Page County community needs the people in this room who say they have faith, who sing about their faith, to do something with their faith. We need to stop talking. We need to merely stop talking about how much Bible we know. And we realize that faith is about taking a meal to someone who's sick. Faith is about helping the poor. Faith is about hearing of a need and acting in the need that you hear. And I know that's immediately going to lead us to, man, well, Pastor, there's so many different problems, so many different issues that I can help with. How do I know which ones to do? Ha! Well, we ask for the Lord to show us. And every time we hear of a need, we say, Lord, am I supposed to step into that? And when he says yes, step with faith into that need so so here i mean i know this is going to sound so stupid and i wasn't planning to say this but here we have a man who said i'm gonna i'm gonna help lead our church in cleaning some floors you know what everybody should have said should i should i help with that lord do you want me to help with that and if the lord says yes then don't ask but i don't have the time i don't know how i'm gonna do it this is where we put our faith i believe god said to do this so i'm gonna do it how i don't know but I believe what he told me to do. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you to one passage to close the sermon with. Don't think I'm starting a whole nother point. I'm not. But I want to show you very clearly faith without obedience, obedience without faith, and then faithful obedience. Carolyn, you gave me a book a couple of weeks ago for my birthday. And I've been reading it, and, it, and there's this passage of Matthew 19 in there. And it's Matthew 19, like the, the author kind of brought it alive. So, so if you have a Bible, look in Matthew 19. If you don't, I'll have it behind me. I promise you, I'm coming to the close. This is not something that's going to be extended. I just want to show you what faith without obedience looks like, what obedience without faith looks like, and what faithful obedience looks like. And we're just going to read. In Matthew 19, verse number 16. Now this, this is also included in Mark 10 and Luke 18, and so we, we can kind of take some things together and realize the person we're going to read about is called the rich young ruler, and he's going to come to Jesus asking about eternal life. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 19. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, meaning Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments and he said to them which ones and jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself and the young man said to him get this all these i have kept what do i still lack now let me stop right there here's here's what we have to get he had actions like crazy but he inherently knew in his heart, I've done all the commandments. He thought, I've kept all the commandments. But he also knew, I've kept all the commandments. And that's not enough. What else? 
Jesus said to him, verse 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So, so here's the thing. This guy's coming to Jesus in faith. You're the one that has eternal life. How do I get it? And Jesus tells him what to do. Keep the commandments. I've done that. What else? Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The man walks away. He had faith with no obedience, which means he did not have true faith. In the moment. Like my prayer is that some point this guy comes to Christ. I, my prayer is that at some point this guy the blinders come off of his eyes and he's like, ah, I was in front of him and I missed it. I, I pray that that's true. But in this moment, he walked away sorrowful. He had faith come. He came in faith, but no obedience to show his faith. He really didn't believe Jesus had eternal life. Then Jesus is going to take four verses and he's going to talk to his disciples. He's going to turn to them and he's going to be like, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven, to enter the kingdom of heaven it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are like, wow, that's crazy. You know, who can be saved? And, but I want to show you one verse. Verse 27. Look at verse 27. Peter, <laughs> this is so funny to me. Because you could actually take out Jesus' teaching of these four verses and just insert Peter's question right after the verse behind me. It's like he ignored everything Jesus had to say. Because we just got done telling this guy, go sell everything you have and come follow me. The guy doesn't. And then verse 27, Peter said in reply, well, see, we've left everything and followed you. What do we have? You get it? That guy, we did what he wasn't willing to do. What do we get? And it's like in, in that moment, it appears that Peter's obedience was not about faith it was about a reward like what do i get for this i'll do it but what do i get in return and to me the question that, that jesus doesn't ask but is like leaving it's left hanging there when peter says well, what do we get i got kind of like jesus has to be like what do you think i am what about me peter you've spent time with me, you've, you've heard me. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah sent from heaven. I have taught. I have healed. I have walked on water. I have calmed the seas. You have, you have seen me multiply the fish. You have watched me be transfigured and you have seen my glory. And you want something else? Oh, but look at that. I think Peter, in this moment, his faith or his obedience was not about faith. Now, we know Peter's story, right? He totally brings his obedience and his faith together because he follows Jesus to his death, which is an upside-down cross. Ah, what is so amazing to me, though, is you have this rich young ruler who, had, who lacked the obedience of his faith. You have Peter who had faith, and he really didn't get why he wanted a reward, and they're in the midst of the one who had faithful obedience. Jesus did what both of these were not willing to do. The rich man didn't want to give up his treasures. What do we read about Jesus? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet he became poor for your sakes, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He did it. What about Peter? Jesus didn't ask for anything in return. 
In John 19.30, he was hanging on the cross when he could have called angels to be saved. He just simply says, it is finished. Like, literally, I have done everything, Father, you've asked me to do. And this is what I get. It's finished. It wasn't about what I received. It was about pleasing you. And then what's even cool is that unlike Isaac, you know, Abraham's son who didn't get killed, Jesus, God's son, did cost him his life. See, we needed Jesus' faith to be put into action. It wasn't enough to say, I believe in my father. It was enough. It, we had to have Jesus say, I believe in my father so much, I will go to the end for him. So, is your faith generating, is your faith in Jesus generating obedience to Jesus? I think there's a lot of people, not in this room necessarily, but I think there's a lot of people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, having faith in Jesus, who when Jesus asks them to do something, it's just there's this hesitancy to say, I can't. That, that's not what faith says. Faith says, I don't know how, but I will. But then we also have some. And there's the question, is your obedience to Jesus grounded in faith? Because we have plenty of people who go through the motions doing the things they're supposed to do, but there's no faith attached to it. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So as we go, as we go in faithful obedience, allow the faith of Jesus to be your example. He said yes to his father about everything. That's what we need to do. Well, I'd never be able to do what Abraham did. Here's, here's, here, here, here. If your faith is here, he's not going to ask you to do faith of people who are here. But there's some of us who have grown up in the church our entire lives and for decades have known this word and yet our actions of faith are like we're still a child. You say, man, pastor, I don't have that much faith in God. Okay, then God's probably not going to ask you to step out like he did for Abraham, but he's going to ask you to step out in the faith that he knows you have. Remember, as you, as you are obeying Jesus, remember, it's not about what you get in return. Ha, you already have everything because you have Jesus. He's your true treasure. Don't look past him. Don't, don't be like Peter who in that moment made the mistake of like, well, what do I get? Get out of the way, Jesus. What treasures do I get? No, you, Jesus is our treasure. Oh, and as we follow him with our faithful obedience, oh, remember, you're his true treasure. He gave up everything because he knew it would bring you to the Father. You are the treasure of the one who says, follow me. Follow me. Why? Follow me. Because no one will love you more. No one will care for you more. Follow me. Oh, may we be a church full of faithful obedience. Pray with me.